We are in a series called Defining Moments. We're walking through Hebrews chapter 11 together and we are now going to occasionally, we're going to fast forward a couple people and uh, we're going to skip over Jacob who God would make his name Israel, not because he's not important, he's actually very important, uh, but we're going to look at some other things as we, as we go along. So I'm only going to read one scripture uh, from the book of Hebrews and then we're going to cover around 12 chapters in Genesis. So you can turn in your Bible wherever you want and uh, buckle up. But I just wanna say, there's so many great things happening in our church right now. And on Wednesday of this week, uh, we began our 40 days of prayer, 40 days as we walk towards Easter together. And over 2,300 of you have signed up to be a part of that. You can still sign up if you like anytime to receive those daily encouragements to pray. And you can do that by texting 40 days, no spaces, to 77453. You can go ahead and do it right now. It won't offend me if you're on your phone. 77453 is the number. And then just text 40 days. We also have a tool on our website at westridge.com slash 40 days. You can see all the, the blog posts and things that you've been getting if you wanted to go back to one that meant something to you. And also on there is kind of a, a master list of prayer requests that are some of the, the big hairy goals that we have as a church, the prayers that we're putting before the Lord. And there's also the invitation for you to put your request on the page. And through a little tool, uh, it's kind of like a, a Facebook-like mechanism, I, is you can let other people know that you prayed for that request. So you can submit a request. You can say, I've prayed over this request. And then the person who submitted whatever that need is, they'll actually get an email that hopefully will encourage them. And just since Wednesday, uh, more than 7,200 prayers, 7,200 prayers have been prayed off of the things on that page. And so we believe that God does amazing. Yeah, you can clap for that. We believe that God does amazing things when his people pray. And we've seen him do amazing things and we believe greater things are yet to come. And so I want you to, if you haven't gotten involved in this, if you've been out the last couple of weeks and hadn't heard about it, come on in. And uh, we'd love to have every single person who calls Westridge home and then some a part of this. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22 says this, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. This is all the writer of Hebrews 11 says about Joseph. Now, if you were raised in the church, you probably know a lot about Joseph. You, there were probably several weeks of flannel graph that mark your elementary life, and you remember all kinds of things about it. There, there's a, it's a big story, and we're going to cover a lot of the highlights over the next few moments. And this Hebrews chapter 11, this faith chapter, many times gives us the defining moments for these people of faith. And with all the things that happen in the life of Joseph, the defining moment that it gives us is at the end of his life, if you read the Genesis account, as we will in a minute, he doesn't so much predict the Exodus as he kind of shades towards it. And he just says to take my bones out of here when you go. So if you were just to look at Joseph and try to figure out how to live by faith, it might lead you to believe that as long as I tell my family where to bury me, then I've finished well, well done. I've done everything I've needed to do. Well, it's not exactly like that. So to understand Joseph, we're going to do a flyover over the next few minutes of his entire life. And so let's begin in Genesis chapter 37. It says this, now Israel, which is the name that God gave Jacob, and we'll use that name interchangeably. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. 
and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. When Joseph enters the scene, it's pointed out that he is the favorite son of his father. How many of you are the favorite? Just raise your hand. I can't believe anybody raised their hand. Would you look at all these people for just a moment? That was a total setup. You are not supposed to raise your hand, okay? Can I tell you who raised their hand? The baby of the family. Every single one of them just raised their hand, okay? And some of you, this is how messed up it gets in our families. And some of you, it gets even worse. If we're being honest, you're sitting with your parents and you know not to raise your hand in front of your siblings, but you're just trying to make eye contact with mom. It's like, I know mom, it's okay. And your sibling is watching this going, seriously? You guys are gonna do this right in front of me? I'm an only child. If you raise your hand and you're an only child, you are not the favorite. I am not the favorite, okay? I am an experiment that went horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. All right? But Joseph is the favorite son of his father because he is the favorite son of his father's favorite wife. I'm going to leave that alone for the 11 o'clock and you can go read that later on. Let me tell you another reason why his brothers don't like him. He's the favorite because he gets the best clothes. I mean, there ends up being 12 boys in this family. Okay. He's got 10 older brothers. They all have to shop at Ross and Marshalls and TJ Maxx and the, the outlets and all the places where I shop. And, but they take Joseph all the way to Phipps Plaza. They walk him all the way into Nordstrom and they say, what's the best coat in here? And sure enough, the best coat in Nordstrom is this very colored, multicolored, technicolor dream coat as we know it, all right? So he has got the best of the best. And as if they don't hate him enough, and scripture is is pretty clear. It's not that he's the annoying little brother. They hate him. This is another level. And some of the reason is because Joseph in chapter 37, right away, it tells us that he has a couple of dreams and he tells his brother about these dreams. And he tells his brother the first one about the time they were all Uh, in his dream, they're all binding sheaves of grain out in just little bundles of grain out in the field. And all of their bundles of grain bowed down to his bundle, which is somehow bigger and taller in the dream. And isn't that cool, guys? All your stuff bowed down to my stuff. Now, if you're the brothers, what's going through your head in this minute, in this moment, okay? And then just to take it a step further, he has another dream that his brothers are all stars and he's kind of the brightest star and the sun and moon and stars bowed down to him. This one actually even got under his father's skin at least just a little bit. So Joseph, now at the beginning of this story, after all these dreams, after his brothers hate him, his dad Jacob sends Joseph out away to check on his brothers. So he's that guy too, by the way, all right? So not only is he the favorite and he gets the best clothes, but he's the brother, he's the spy. Maybe I should ask you to raise your hand if you were the spy. Yeah, that's a whole different deal. If you were the spy that was the reporter, the tattletale on the rest of your brothers. So he's that guy too. And so as he is on his way to see his brothers, off in the distance, basically what they say is, here comes the coat. We can see the coat coming. Let's just kill him. Like I said, he's not the annoying little brother. He's the hated little brother. 
Let's just kill him. And Reuben, who's trying to be responsible and has a moment of conscience, says, let's, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. Yeah, because that's better. And so let's not have his, his blood on our hands, but let's just throw him in a pit. Now, if you're Joseph, and God has put a dream in your heart, how do you feel about all this? I think what we're going to find over the next few moments are several themes in Joseph's life that many of you can relate to. And here's the first one. Joseph is absolutely rejected by the people he wanted to believe in him the most. By by the people he would want the most support from. Somebody's tracking with me right now. And Joseph is absolutely rejected rejected by them. Some of you can relate to this. You're not perfect, but God put a dream in your heart and the people that you are hoping would cheer you on the loudest, that they would be the wind in your sail. They are the people who actually say to you, you know what? It's never going to happen for you. You're not good enough. It's not going to happen. Just quit. Just move on. Do something normal like everybody else. What do you mean God put a dream in your heart? Forget about a God dream and just go get yourself a job for crying out loud and be like everybody else completely rejected. Some of you have had these moments where you have, you have said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pursue what God wants me to do. Maybe it's a mission field. Maybe it's ministry. Maybe it's using the job that you're working right now for God's glory. And you've got a clear picture of how you can invest back into the kingdom of God, of how you can share the gospel at work, of all the things that you want to do. And you share that with friends, you share that with family, and they say, it's never going to happen. You're never going to do it. You might give one time, you might share the gospel with one person, you might invite one person to church, but let's be honest, this is going to fizzle out for you. And some of you know exactly what it feels like to be rejected by the people whose support you want the most. But hopefully they don't do what Joseph's brothers do. So they take him and they throw him in a pit. Genesis 37 verse 23 says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Let's not kill him. Let's just leave him for dead. We're going steps beyond rejection now. As another theme begins to enter into Joseph's life. So they decide that they're not going to kill him. They throw him in a pit. And then there's some traders coming. A little caravan is coming on its way to Egypt. And so one of the brothers makes a suggestion. Well, let's at least make some money off of him for crying out loud. And so they decide that they're going to pull him up out of the pit. And they are going to sell him to these traders. Now, I just, this week, just thinking about this, Imagining how humiliating this is. I mean, the scriptures say that they stripped him of his robe. This had to have been a, a prized possession for him, but just, just imagine someone just stripping it off, just letting you know that this thing that you think is so special about you is not special at all. Completely rejected and now abandoned by those who should have accepted him. Abandoned is a step further. He's been completely cast aside now, completely given up on. His brothers have no intention of seeing him again and there's really no reason why they should expect to unless God intervenes. They have just sold him to the largest 
empire on the face of the planet at this time. He could have truly ended up anywhere in the world. Rejected and abandoned is not a good combination. It had to have been a long ride to Egypt for this 17-year-old young man. He could end up being a slave to anyone. Abandoned, rejected. For some of you, you completely identify with that. That's how you feel walking in here. And the problem is, because you've been abandoned and rejected by the people you are hoping to get the most support and encouragement from, you don't just feel abandoned and rejected by them. Ultimately, you feel abandoned and rejected by God. And where do I find him in the midst of this? Joseph's story continues. Genesis chapter 39, verse two says, the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful Man, you say, what happens here? Well, if we're watching the story of Joseph's life, chapter 38 is a whole different deal. You can check, out, check in on that later. It's kind of like we went to commercial break and then we come back. And this is all different now. The Lord was with Joseph and he's a successful man. Awesome. Here we go. And he was in the host of his Egyptian master. His master, whose name was Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of everything that he had. So Joseph did not end up making bricks somewhere, building a pyramid somewhere as just some slave out in the desert, but he is in the capital city and he is now second in command of what appears to be one of the wealthiest people and one of the largest wealthiest empires in the history of the world. Everything is working out for Joseph. Not quite. Keep in mind here that even though it may seem like things are working out, he's completely alone and isolated. Abandoned, rejected, isolated. And that's where the enemy comes in. Joseph is working for a man whose wife must be lonely too. And so in the scriptures, a picture is painted of a pretty brazen woman, Potiphar's wife, and some pretty brazen conversations, who basically approaches Joseph and says, hey, come on, Joseph. My husband's away. You know his schedule better than I do. You look good. I look good. Come on, let, let's make this happen. She's inviting him to an affair. And honestly, it's a story that could have marked his life. It would have been the easy perhaps an easy choice to make. It wouldn't have been the easy choice, but it would have been an easy choice. It would have been something that honestly, because of Joseph's understanding of this man and of his wife, it's something that he could have gotten away with for years and years and years. Rejected, abandoned, isolated, and then temptation comes to wipe him out. That's when the enemy comes. Rejected, abandoned, isolated. This is one of the reasons why groups are so important. Some of you are trying to do the Christian life alone and you absolutely cannot do it because temptation is going to come. And when temptation comes, 
It's going to come perhaps at your weakest moment. Temptation itself may try to isolate you. The enemy may try to shock you with something so crazy that goes through your mind that you may feel like, I can't share that with anybody because people are going to think something's wrong with me. Listen, the temptation is not the sin, and the temptation comes from the father of lies and from the father of evil, and he is going to come up with whatever he can, however he can, to take you out. He is on a mission to steal, to kill, and destroy, and you need someone who will look you in the eyes and say, how'd you do this week? How'd you do today on that work trip? How'd you do as you were researching on your computer this week? Did did you keep everything focused? Did you keep your eyes focused on God? And I hear people say things like, you know, I, I, I could never do that to my family. I could never do that to my wife. I could never do that to my husband. And that sounds noble, but that will only last for so long. And Joseph gives us the correct perspective for withstanding temptation. He turns to this brazen woman and he says in verse uh, 9 of chapter 39, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Not how could I sin against my family, not how could I sin against my boss who has been so great to me, who doesn't have to worry about anything every day because he's put me in charge. How could I sin against God? Because he understands the impact of temptation is much greater than what we can even see. It's not just a sin against his own body. It's not just a sin against Potiphar or Potiphar's wife. It's a sin against God. And that perspective allowed Joseph to resist this woman. Oh, but she's not done. You might think, surely God blesses Joseph in this case. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? But she comes back. She comes back and she is, I mean, she's more aggressive than she's ever been. How do we know that she's more aggressive? Because in this next moment, as she's trying to pursue him, as she's coming after him, she ends up with his coat in her hands. She says, come on, Joseph, let's do this thing. And he says, no. And he runs out and she ends up with his coat. This black widow woman, I mean, come on. Right here, she is trying to take him out and she is not going to be embarrassed and she's got his coat so she walks outside into the courtyard with the other servants and she says help help Joseph tried to rape me and I've got his coat I can prove it and as a Hebrew slave he's got he's got nobody to back him up doesn't have a leg to stand on and he resisted temptation and he ends up in prison Joseph goes from a pit he's obedient he's faithful he resists temptation and he ends up in prison and in prison there are a couple guys there and as it goes you know you make friends in prison so I'm told I've never been there but I I mean they just They may have some friendships. By the way, unbelievable. Same things happens in prison that happened in Potiphar's house. This guy is so amazing that the person in charge of the prison, the warden, whatever you want to call him, they put Joseph in charge. You're in charge. You run the place. That's unbelievable. So 
We're doing the prison thing now. And there's two guys with him in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and Pharaoh's baker, and they have dreams. And they're talking about the dreams, and Joseph says, hey, God can help me tell you what those dreams mean. Can I tell you what your dreams mean? Cupbearer says, sure, go for it. He says, well, I know that you had a dream about a vine that grew, and you picked the grapes off the vine, and you squeezed the grapes into a cup, and you gave it to Pharaoh, and you were serving Pharaoh again. He said, that means that you will be serving Pharaoh again in three days. Cool. The baker's like, all right, tell me mine. This is awesome. So, well, okay. So you had a dream, you're carrying cakes on your head in a basket and birds come and eat the cakes. Yeah, that means you're actually going to die in three days. Yeah, so the baker's no longer friends with Joseph. And this is a really long three days. And Joseph says to the cupbearer, You're going to be restored in three days. Would you please remember me? Would you please remember me? I would remember Joseph. He got the dream right. Three days comes by. The baker ends up dead with the birds from his dream now eating his flesh. The cupbearer ends up in the presence of Pharaoh. Joseph is going to get his big break now, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I told you there were some themes in Joseph's life, and maybe some of you can relate to them. Abandoned, rejected, isolated, tempted, forgotten. You ever felt forgotten? Moments of loss, moments of pain, and you can't call the people that you want to call because they've already rejected and abandoned you, and you feel like you are all alone with no support. And here's what you've yet to say out loud, but you've thought it. I don't just feel abandoned, rejected, isolated, and forgotten by them. I feel forgotten by God. And I don't think he sees me. And if he does, then I don't get it. And I think it's interesting how Genesis chapter 41 starts. We believe that God gave Moses the book of Genesis and and the rest of the first five books of the Bible while he was on Mount Sinai at some point, I think Moses adds a word. I think he did it on his own. God said, yeah, that's, that's okay. Here's what it is. Genesis 41.1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. So we're making another transition here in the movie of Joseph, this little mini-series that we're doing. Here's the word I think Moses added. After two whole years... I mean, the Spirit of God has given Moses this to write down, and Moses is like, are you serious right now? I had no idea all of this happened, but here we go. After two whole years, what was supposed to be three days, he's forgotten and left in prison, and after two whole years, Pharaoh has a dream, and he's sharing it with some people, and the cupbearer is listening to Pharaoh share his dream and goes, oh, yep. I know a guy. I think I was supposed to tell you about this before, 
uh, might've been last week. It may have been longer. Um, I know a guy who can tell dreams because he actually told me I had a dream that I would be serving you from this cup again. So please don't get mad because I don't go back there. But I had a dream and he got it right. And here I am serving you. Pharaoh said, there's a guy that tells dreams, go get him. He's gone from a pit to prison and now they pull him out of the prison. They shave him, they clean him up. And Pharaoh says, can you do this or not? And Joseph says, well, let me tell you about your dream. The seven skinny cows that ate the seven fat cows, Lord in heaven, please don't let me ever have this dream. The seven withered ears of corn that absorbed the seven full ears of corn. Here's what it means. It means that there's about to be seven years of abundance and then there's going to be seven years of famine. And then Joseph is so bold to go ahead and give Pharaoh the plan. I love that about this guy. He says, here's what I would do. I would take 20% of everything that comes in over the first seven years of abundance and I would set it to the side so that we're ready for the seven years of famine. Pharaoh listened to him and put Joseph in charge of the largest empire in the history of the world at this point. And it's a good thing he did. The scriptures say that Joseph saved grain grain like sand on the seashore that you couldn't even measure it. And it was a great thing that he would do this because the whole world is in famine. The scriptures say, Pharaoh says, I have put you over all the land of Egypt. He's gone from a pit to a prison to a palace. God has promoted Joseph. And guess who gets hungry? Over in Canaan, there's an older man. His name is Jacob. He has 11 sons. He has, according to scripture, three average looking wives and one smoking hot wife. You can read about that in your group this week and send me an email, ask me a question, I'll show you where it is. And and they're all hungry. And Jacob says, I will send you guys to Egypt because I hear they've got food, but you can't take Benjamin, the youngest, Joseph's little brother of the same woman that he loves so much. So Joseph's blood brother, he says, Benjamin is staying here and the rest of you guys can go down to Egypt. Oh man, this is just beautiful. What happens? Only God. So they all go down. Watch what happens. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Can you blame him? Let's let him off the hook for just a second, okay? Where do you come from? He said, they said, we come from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him. And then Joseph remembered the dream that he dreamed. You remember the dream where the bundles of grain bowed down and he was like taller than everybody else? I mean, he had to have at least a smirk on his face. I mean, come come on. I mean, I'm I'm not as godly as Joseph. I can just tell you. But I may have taunted just a little bit. But he does mess with them. He actually accuses them of being spies. He lets them buy grain, but he accuses them of being spies. And he says, I'm not gonna believe that you're not a spy unless you bring back the little brother that you claim that you have. He wants to see his brother. And oh, by the way, you can all go home except Simeon. I'm gonna put him in jail. I don't know what Simeon did during the pit thing, but I think that is awesome. 
So they get back to Canaan and Jacob is completely dismayed. They've lost another brother and there's no way he's letting Benjamin out of his sight because to lose him would put him over the edge. But they don't know the famine's seven years long and they run out of everything they've purchased. They go to their dad and dad, we have no choice. We're going to die. And this ruler, it's interesting to me that Joseph, who was in charge of the whole land, himself took charge of the grain selling, just, make, just to make sure we got it right. Takes all, they, they convince dad, we got to take everybody back. So they take everybody back, including Benjamin. Simeon is released from prison. He sells them some grain and then messes with them some more. Can't blame him. Messes with them to the point that the guards have to bring them back to stand before him. Look at this moment. Then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. The Egyptians heard it. The household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph, is dad still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Wouldn't you have loved to see the look on their faces? You've got to be kidding me. Joseph said to his brothers, come here, guys. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here to preserve life. He could have killed them and they never would have known it was him. All their father would have ever known was that some anonymous awful ruler in Egypt had had all of his boys killed. He could have lived rich and comfortable and been satisfied for the rest of his life and not even worried about those who had abandoned him and rejected him. I know I'm stepping on a few toes because I know that there are people who have abandoned you, who have rejected you, who have left you to feel isolated, who in anything that they communicate anywhere, they make it seem like they have absolutely forgotten you. But let me show you what the life of faith, let me tell you what the life of faith does. The life of faith does not choose retribution. The life of faith chooses reconciliation. The life of faith does not choose revenge, it chooses chooses restoration. And looking in the eyes of the ones who did him the worst, Joseph said, you didn't do this, God did this. And God sent me before you to preserve life, your life, my life, and the lives of tens of thousands of people Joseph trusted in the plans and the purposes of God from the pit to the prison to the palace. And the only way he could have done that is by faith. 
That's the only way he could have done it. Hebrews says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What is he so sure of? He is assured and convicted that though people have turned their backs on him, though people have abandoned, rejected, isolated, tempted, and forgotten him, God has never done that. Not for a minute was Joseph abandoned. This assurance grounded him when he was rejected. It gave him endurance when he was abandoned. It sustained him when he was forgotten. His conviction remained unbroken when he was tempted until finally God promoted him, renewed him, and gave him more than he could ever ask or imagine. And then there's this beautiful text at the end of Joseph's life after dad is gone and in truth the brothers are still worried that Joseph is gonna at some point exact vengeance but that was never on his mind. So they come to Joseph after Jacob dies with this concern and Joseph says to them, do not fear for I am in the place of God. There's a question mark in most of your translations there. It would just be as if Joseph is saying, am I not in the place of God? He is so sure and so convicted of the presence of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many should be kept alive as they are to this day. Your plans were evil. Your intentions were harm but God's were never for less than my good. There are moments in this life, seasons, not moments, let's be honest, seasons, when life is overwhelming, where your circumstances seem insurmountable, when people have hurt you, like you never thought you could be hurt. And the thought that goes through your mind that maybe God has backed away. Maybe God has checked out. By faith, by faith, Joseph was confident in the moment by moment presence of God. And he kept his attention and his eyes focused on the purposes and the plans of God and his ability to bring them about and not his own circumstances. And at the end of his life, this moment that the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews records is found in Genesis 50, verse verse 24. Joseph says to his brothers, I'm about to die but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made his brothers, the sons of Israel, swear, saying, God will surely visit you and carry my bones up out of here. Guys, I'm dying, but it won't be long And it won't be long before God comes and it won't be long before God visits and it won't be long before God delivers his people with his very last breath. 
Joseph understood his whole life had been a setup and he loved it. His life was a setup for deliverance for the people of God. His life was a setup for the Red Sea to be parted, for the children of Israel to become a nation and for them to one day conquer the promised land. It never would have happened in that way if Joseph had for a moment turned away, but rather by faith, he kept his eyes focused on the plans and purposes of God. What can man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? I'm fixing my eyes on the author, on the perfecter of my faith, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the beginning, the end, the alpha and omega, the one who is the God of right now, the one who is the God of this moment, the one who is the God of this minute he's the guy if he's the god of the beginning and the end and he's the god of the middle and he has got you and you can believe it by faith take hold of it take hold of it how easy it would have been to throw in the towel in the pit How easy it would have been to throw in the towel when that brazen woman said, come on. How easy it would have been to give up in prison. How easy it would have been to relax when you're second in command. Even in success, we can lose sight. But by faith, he lived his life in confidence that God was greater than anything he could see. Would you bow your heads with me? Child of God, I don't know what you're struggling with today. I'll be honest, some of the stories in this room, just the ones that I know, just break my heart and I know they're just the tip of the iceberg of what's happening all across this community and in even our church plants touch different parts of the country and in different parts of our world today but wherever a child of God finds themselves today whatever pit or prison you find yourself in he is there he has never left not for a minute Have you ever been forsaken? So right now in prayer there in your seat, would you just fix your eyes on him? If the spirit of God leads you, would you confess that you trust him? And that is not trite because some of you have really believed that he's forgotten about you, that he's too busy, that he's lost sight of you. And it's just not the case. Don't believe that for a second. That's the enemy trying to isolate you, to take you out and to prevent you from discovering the abundant life, to prevent you from taking hold of life that's truly life. Just confess, God, I trust you in the middle of this. 
my marriage falling apart, with my job falling apart, with my kids going nuts. I trust you in the middle of all of it. With the cancer that my family is dealing with, with the loss and the pain that my family is dealing with, God, I trust you. Would you sustain me in this moment? In every moment, every minute, God, I need you. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let me tell you what he did for you. He was rejected. He was abandoned. He was isolated. He was tempted. He was forsaken by the Father so that you would never have to be. And he's risen from the dead today, seated at the right hand of that same Father, victorious. And he wants you to know him. If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can do that in this moment. I want to invite you to not leave this building today, not leave this room today without coming and speaking to one of our prayer team members on either side of the stage and say, hey, today I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus. They'd love to lead you in that. God, today we thank you that you never leave us, that you can be trusted in every circumstance that comes from this broken world and from our dark enemy. God, would you give us a new confidence and boldness to live by faith? And thank you for the example of Joseph today. In Jesus' name, amen.